Does God have favourites? What do you think? Does he? Do you think God has a ranking system? And if he did, how would that work? Missionaries at the top, ministers, elders, and then other church folk. Or maybe he plays favourites in a different way. Maybe he's got a a few favourites amongst the high-profile, very successful Christians. And he gives a, a, a smile to the mediocre Christians and puts up with the struggling Christians. Do you think God plays favourites? And we've all seen others get a much bigger slice of the cake than us, haven't we? And we wonder whether God does that as well. And this question nags at us because, well, many of us have been at the wrong end of favouritism. Many of us may be in our families, maybe at school, maybe in the workplace. Maybe we have felt second class and very much on the altar. Now, much thought and many studies have gone into the effects of playing favourites within families. Psychologist Victoria Bedford has extensively studied in this area, and her focus has been on the least favoured person. In fact, it even has a title, the least favoured status. And so she analysed these people in the family, their self-esteem, how they socialised and their relationships with other family members. And no matter how she broke down the data, it all said the same thing. She wrote, my main conclusion is how horrible favouritism is on siblings. And for all those siblings that have been on the wrong end of favouritism, we can imagine that they agree. Take the famous author Charles Dickens. Now, Charles Dickens had a very tough upbringing. In fact, if you've read his books, the characters and the circumstances, he draws heavily from how he grew up. And his father was sent to debtor's prison, and there wasn't much money in the family, and they can only afford to send one child to school, and it wasn't him. Instead, Charles Dickens was sent to a sweatshop, a shoe factory, where all his meagre salary or wages was used to support the family. Now, as we know, he went on to be a highly celebrated author. However, he never got over the fact that his sister was favoured over him. In fact, later in life, he wrote this. My whole nature was so penetrated by the grief and humiliation that even now, famous and caressed and happy, I wander desolate back to that time in my life. There are countless stories of families playing favourites, from the sporty son who's favoured by dad to the academic daughter who's fussed over by mum. And so it's natural for us to wonder whether in God's family, whether God plays favourites. In many respects, the answer is a simple yes or no. If it's yes, there are implications. If there, it is no, there are implications. And Peter will address this in one verse, which will be our focus when it comes to 1 Peter. One verse he answers very clearly with a yes or a no. However, before we get there, let's explore what the Bible says about favoritism. We're going to look at three examples of favoritism, which we've had highlighted in some of the Bible readings. Three examples. Then we're going to look at God's expectations on us about playing favorites. And then we're going to see how we are favored in God's presence, all favoured. And so let's go to the three examples. 
Three examples. Two are from family life in the Old Testament, and the third example is from church life in the New Testament. So let's start with our first family, Isaac and Rebekah. Now, when Isaac and Rebekah were married, Rebekah struggled to conceive, and there were many years where there were no children in their family. And then we're told in the Bible that Isaac prayed for his wife and God blessed them both with twin boys. So from going from no children to two. And in chapter 25 of Genesis, verse 27, we see how this develops. Genesis 25, verse 27. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Here we see favoritism within the family. And it's a common dynamic within families. If the oldest is a boy and is very sporty outdoors, then the father will naturally gravitate or focus on the boy. The mother, sensing this favoritism, can then compensate by focusing on another sibling. It's certainly not the only family pattern of favoritism, but that's one that's reasonably common. And on top of this, there's another factor as well, because Isaac himself was greatly favoured. We know the story, don't we? Isaac's mother, Sarah, was barren, and after many years, Abraham and Sarah, by God's grace, had Isaac. But there had already been a stepbrother, Ishmael. And one of those boys was favoured and one wasn't. And Isaac was favoured. So much so that the stepbrother, Ishmael, was banished from the family when he was a teenager. And so Isaac, what does Isaac know? <laughs> Isaac only knows that his parents played the favourite. and So that's what Isaac does. No excuse, that's just the background. And so, how does this turn out? Is it a good way to bring a family up? Did it develop a healthy, cohesive, nurturing family dynamic? Well, we know the story, don't we? Far from it. When Isaac was old and it was time to pass the blessing, his blessing as a father onto the oldest son, he asked Esau, who was a skilled huntsman, to go and capture some wild game and prepare his father's favourite meal. Then... Isaac would bless Esau with the family blessing. However, Rebekah overhears this conversation and plots with Jacob to steal the blessing. And because elderly Isaac is practically blind and because of lies and deception, Esau is cheated out of his blessing. Afterwards, fearing for his life, Jacob has to flee the family and so the family is fractured. It's divided. And so in this case, where favoritism is clearly shown in the Bible, we see that it does not end well. So that's the first example of favoritism that we find in the Bible. And we don't have to go far to find the second example of favoritism because Jacob himself, now third generation, plays the favorites. You see, while he was in exile, he marries two sisters, Leah and Rachel. And one of these wives is favoured, and the other one he puts up with. Do we know which is favoured? 
Rachel is favoured, isn't she? And Leah is very much second best. So much so that God feels sorry for Leah and Leah gives birth to six boys, six sons. And how many are born to Rachel? Well, none, because she's barren. Until, late in the peace, Joseph is born. And so this is why you can see the dynamic we have here in Genesis 37. Joseph is now a teenager, about 17 years old, and we read this. Now Israel, that's another word for Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. And we know this is the coat of many colours, don't we? Uh, Verse 4. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him. They could not speak a kind word. Again, we see the fruit of playing favourites. Because Joseph was born to Jacob in Jacob's old age to his favourite wife. Joseph, even though he was the 11th son, became his favourite son. And so we no wonder the 10 brothers resented him so much that they could not speak one kind word to him. And did all this end up well? Well, no, it didn't, do it? Many of us know what happened. Joseph's brothers were so resentful that when the opportunity came up, they sold him into slavery. Then they told their father that a wild animal had torn Joseph apart and they showed him the bloody torn robe that they had um, fixed up. And of course this broke and tore their father Jacob's heart apart. So you notice what's happening here. Third generation of favoritism. We have Abraham and Sarah favoring Isaac. And that split the family up because Ishmael was sent away. And then we have Isaac, who knows no different, favoring Esau and Rebekah favoring Jacob. And that splits the family up. And then you have third generation now, where Jacob favors Joseph. And that splits the family up. Very clear, isn't it? Favoritism causes families to rupture. So those are two out of three examples. Let's shift gear and move from family to church life. Do you think playing favourites is a good idea in the church life? The answer should be obvious by now. And you'll be surprised that as we turn to church life, it's Peter who's playing the favourite. It's Peter. It's not Jacob. It's not Isaac, but Peter, whose letter that we're spending time in. So what's the context? What's the background? Well, Peter's left Jerusalem to visit a booming church in the Gentile city of Antioch. Now, up till this time in the story of Acts, the churches have grown up within Israel, and they're mainly Jewish folk that are in the churches. However, Antioch is different. It's a Gentile church. It's, um, the Jewish folk are a minority, and God's Holy Spirit has been poured out, and the church is thriving and growing. And so the church in Jerusalem is sending Peter to check out what's happening. Now, when Peter first arrives there, then he eats with both Jew and Gentile. I mean, if we remember, Jews have very clear dietary conditions. They won't eat pork, they won't eat 
crayfish and shellfish and all sorts of other things where Gentiles do. And this actually caused quite a big tension within the early church when you had Jews and Gentiles mixing, and of course they would often have a meal afterwards. What do you do about the food? Now at first, Peter has a meal with the Jews and the Gentiles and doesn't worry about what the food is. But then some very Jewish Christians come from Jerusalem with very firm standards on clean and unclean food, and Peter stops eating with the Gentile Christians and starts insisting that they all eat kosher food. He starts to play favourites. He's favouring the Jewish-speaking Christians, and he's putting aside, he's showing prejudice against those who come from a Greek background. Paul will have none of this, because he realises that if Peter is playing favourites, this will destroy the church. Made more complicated because Peter is the recognised head of the church and he should be leading by example. So we pick this up and this is Paul's account, this is Paul's side of the story of how he challenges Peter in the church in Antioch. And we read this in Galatians chapter 2 from verse 11. When Cephas, now that's another common name for Peter, when Cephas came to Antioch, I, Paul, opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles. Started to play favourites. And verse 14, When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile or not like a Jew, which is good. How is it then that you force the Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? So, there's a lot to unpack here, but can you see what's happening? Peter's playing favourites in the church. Paul has recognised this and knows that it will destroy the church, and he challenges Peter. Now, by the grace of God, Peter accepts this rebuke, and the situation is sorted. But that's the third example, and there are others, but I hope it's really clear that playing favourites disrupts families and churches. But we just don't have to worry about the examples that we see in the Bible. We can also see God's expectations, God's instructions. From apart from these examples that I've looked at, God is clear. And in various parts of the Bible, he lays it out. In Deuteronomy, God commands that if a man has children to more than one wife, so you can imagine a man who has two or three wives, maybe more, then the oldest son must get the privileged inheritance as the oldest son. And God makes it clear that if another son is favoured, they must not get the oldest inheritance. Another place in the Bible we see this is in Acts chapter 6 where what happens is we have widows that the church is looking after in Jerusalem. And the Greek-speaking widows feel that they're not getting the same amount of food and support as the Jewish-speaking widows. And they say to the leadership, you're playing favourites. We are hard done by. We are not getting the same support. And so if you read Acts chapter 6, you'll see this wonderful way that the church leadership resolves this issue 
and that whole playing of favourites fades away. Paul also talks to Timothy, and he says to Timothy, his young charge, don't let favouritism creep into your ministry. We see this in 1 Timothy 5.21. I charge you in the sight of God, Christ Jesus, and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing from favouritism. In the letter of James, James spends a lot of time saying, don't play favourites with wealthy people that come through your door. Just because they've got money, don't give them the best seats. Don't treat them differently than the poor people. Don't show favourites. And so God's expectations on us are clear. We are not to play favourites. But what about God? I mean, maybe he tells us not to play favourites, but he does it himself. Does he have favourites? Well, the answer is no, he doesn't. And we see this in a number of places. We see this with Jesus himself, who talks about his heavenly Father. And Jesus says in Matthew 5.45, God causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God doesn't play favourites when it comes to common grace. Paul is more concise, short and sweet. Romans 2.11, For God does not show favouritism. And finally from Peter himself, 1 Peter 1.17, sort of our connection with the series that we're going through, is this. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here with reverent fear. Now, there's a lot to unpack in this verse. And last week, we looked about what reverent fear was all about, holy awe, the fear of God. Here, I just want to make it clear that God is impartial, that we will all face judgment one day, and he will not have his favorites. We will all be judged equally. We'll all be judged on whether we have thrown our lives in with Jesus and whether he is our Lord and Saviour. And that's the criteria. Not because God shows favourites. It's very clear that he is impartial and fair when it comes to judgment. And so, with these verses and others, we see very clearly that God does not play favourites. However, we are favoured. Though he has no favourites, we are all favoured equally. Because God chose you and I before the creation of the world, we are favoured. Because Jesus gave his blood to atone, make us at one with our Heavenly Father, we are favoured. Because the Holy Spirit lives in us and is setting us aside to be more like Jesus, we are favoured. Our Heavenly Father has a unique ability to love, accept and forgive each one of us unconditionally and with great joy. Each one of us is greatly favoured, but not one of us is a favourite. And in this we have great hope, a living hope, a bright hope, in two ways. First of all, some of us are carrying pain and hurt like Charles Dickens. 
And on the outside, we might be very successful, competent, respected. But some of us are carrying a deep hurt because we were not favoured. We were pushed aside in our family life, just like Charles Dickens. Well, in this, we have a great hope of healing because we are dearly loved by a Heavenly Father who never plays favourites. Do you know if you were the only person that Jesus needed to die for, just imagine everybody else in the world didn't need Jesus to die for us. If you were the only person, then Jesus would still have gone to the cross for you. Do you know that? The only person, he would die on the cross for you with joy, fulfilling what God wanted him to do. I mean, that's how dearly loved we are. And so if you are carrying the hurt of not being a favourite, of being pushed aside in your family unit, whatever, know that you can have healing today because your Heavenly Father loves you dearly. We also have a second hope as well, and that's the hope of reconciliation and healing. You see, some 15 years or so after the split between Esau and his brother, Jacob, the Bible describes that they were reconciled. We haven't got the time to go into the details, but I always have this image when I, have, when I consider Jacob and Esau. And then we're told in Genesis that those two brothers united to bury their father, and they stood shoulder to shoulder at his graveside, and they had made their peace. And if those two boys can make their peace and have a healed relationship, then God can do that in our fractured relationships. And it's very similar with Joseph and his brothers also. We see this wonderful reconciliation. For Joseph allowed the years in slavery and the years in prison to humble his privileged attitude. So that after his father dies, he is at peace with his brothers. However, his brothers, they are not so sure. They are concerned. They feel that Joseph has been waiting for their father to die and then he will do them in. And so we see this in Genesis 50, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did him? Fair enough. They'd thrown him in prison. He'd spent 13, 14 years as a slave and in prison. No wonder. He, of course he would have a grudge. But the grace of God had been working in Joseph's life. So we see in verse 18, his brothers, Joseph's brothers, then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. He reassured them and spoke kindly to them. For even though paying favourites threatened to rip this family apart, God's grace brought healing and restoration, reassurance and great kindness. God's grace can continue to do this today. Brothers and sisters in Christ, know that you are likewise loved. So today, as we come to communion, 
I pray that your hearts will be open to all that God has for you because you are greatly loved and you are highly favoured. Let's pray.